The Holy Gospel according to Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Be seated. This is the first Sunday of the church's Epiphany season. And let's begin by getting some terms straight so we're all on the same page. An Epiphany is a moment when something that wasn't known is, well, made manifest. That first first hymn we sang says, made known or revealed to you, and and it comes to you, and suddenly you can see something that you couldn't see before. Aha! That's kind of the epiphany gesture. Aha! You might say, I just had an epiphany. You may have said that. The church's epiphany season, following the 12 days of the church's Christmas season, looks at some of the ways in which it was made known, made manifest, that, that, that this child who was born at Christmas, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom in epiphany we meet as an adult, was more than just Joe and Mary's boy. He was also, he is also Whoa, did you just see that? Aha! I think he's the one we've been waiting for. Our primary tour guide during this Epiphany season will be the Gospel writer Matthew. He'll get a little help on a couple of side tours from the Gospel of John. Context is always good, and we're going we're gonna to be spending quite a bit of time with Matthew, so let's grab some Matthew context. Matthew begins his Gospel with, oh my, isn't this exciting, a 42-generation-long genealogy. <laughs> it's actually kind of interesting. Go home and read it. Because in that genealogy, Matthew traces the earthly lineage of Jesus, first of all, back through King David, who had been promised that a descendant of his would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever and ever, and then continues all the way back to Abraham, almost clear back to the beginning of the Bible, right after the Bible does begin by saying that God created this world and God created it good, God created it beautiful, and then sin made things a lot of ways ugly. In Genesis 12, after that very beginning, what what it says is that God chose and promised to bless 
Abraham and generation after generation after generation after generation of his descendants, not just for the sake of choosing and blessing them, but God chose and blessed the descendants, the generations of Abraham for the purpose, too, of through them reaching with his blessing to others in this sin-separated-from-God world. That boring genealogy reminds us right off the bat that this story that Matthew is setting out to tell us is, aha, a continuing part of that whole story of God reaching to have his world back. Matthew continues with his version of the Christmas story, which if you were here the week before Christmas, we heard. It's, it's a Christmas story told from the perspective of Joseph. And as it rolls along into chapter 2, it's the version, Matthew's the only one. Matthew's the only one who tells us the story of the Magi, those wise men who came and who weren't Jews. Nor were they from around here. Their appearance is a reminder that, aha, this story that, that, that of this birth of this Jewish child is a story that isn't just for the Jews. It's for all people whom God so loves that God sent his son. After that, in the rest of Matthew's chapter 2, Matthew's the one who tells us that King Herod, right at the beginning, tried to put an end to the story by sending his soldiers to Bethlehem to find and to kill the newborn king. Joseph fled with his family to Egypt. They became refugees before Herod got there. But Herod's SS goons, if you will, did nevertheless kill many, many other newborns in Bethlehem. This is an epiphany we'd rather not hear. The story reminds us of the fact that, aha, darn it, not everyone in this world that God loves and wants to save is interested in being saved or in being loving. After Herod died, Matthew tells us that Joseph took Mary and his firstborn back to Nazareth, up in Galilee, where Jesus is raised, grows up, except Matthew doesn't tell us one single thing about those years. All those years take place, if you've got your Bible open, it takes place in that little white spot between chapter 2 and chapter 3, where nothing is written. That's Matthew's telling of the story of Jesus from a child until chapter 3, where he's grown up. And then the next thing Matthew tells us is that all grown up, about 30, this is our story for today, a man by the name of John, what's right before our story for today, a man by the name of John started baptizing sinners who came to him repentant and confessing of their sins and, and promising from now on to stop sinning. And as a symbol of their promise, as a symbol of their promise to live clean from here on out, John had them kneel in the Jordan River, and he baptized them. It's not a Christian baptism. Christian baptism, we believe that God is the one doing the doing. In John's baptism, people were the ones doing the doing, and, and, the, and, the, and the, the water was symbolic of what they were doing, promising to live clean from here on out. 
And that's the whole Gospel of Matthew that, that is prior to and therefore leads to that story I just read where it says that Jesus, before he did one single thing that John Matthew is going to tell us all about, Jesus shows up at John's revival meeting out there on the Jordan and he tells John he wants him to baptize him, which Matthew says John thought was the worst idea he'd ever heard in all his years in the ministry. You got it exactly backwards, he said. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus insisted, although it was a little cryptic exactly what he was saying. Basically what he said is, it's the right thing to do. And John, albeit reluctantly, because to him it still didn't seem like the right thing to do. It seemed like the wrong thing to do. But John, nevertheless, when Jesus insisted, did baptize him in his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, despite the fact that Jesus, being who he was, didn't have any sin to be repentant for. So why was he baptized? Opinions actually vary. I think, though nobody at this time, even John, maybe realized it, I think that right off the bat here at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus is baptized to make known, albeit a little bit subtly, to make known, aha, epiphany, he's making known something that three years down the road he will make known dead clearly. And that is that the reason he came, not just to the Jordan, but to the world, was precisely to humble himself and allow to be done to him, which by all rights should have been done to sinners. But that crystally clear epiphany would be later on that Friday, three years from now down the road that he came to walk. Today, on the other hand, in the very, very first public step, he takes on that road. We glimpse at least a, a hint of that epiphany to come as John writes that Jesus does kneel in the Jordan to be baptized with sinners. I understand that whole scenario through the words that, that Paul wrote a few decades later when he wrote that Jesus didn't sin, but he did. That's what Paul says. He did become our sin so that we might become his righteousness. Pam led us in remembering our baptisms at the beginning of the service. We, in baptism, believe that we are washed in the righteousness of Jesus. Was he, in his baptism, do you suppose, doing the exact opposite of that, kneeling in the water with sinners to bathe himself in our sin. We were in, in the Holy Land twice. The first time we went to the official site where the baptism, it's kind of a tourist trap, frankly, and it's, but it's very clean. It's very nice. There are ramps with handrails right down into the water. 
On our second time, I said to our tour guide, could you just find a place on the Jordan where, where there aren't, you know, all kinds of people in white robes, but maybe it just kind of looks like the Jordan, maybe might have looked. And he said, yeah. And we pulled over off the highway, and there was nobody else there. And we went out in the water and knelt and did a remembrance of baptism service. And as I was looking down in this beautiful river I was standing in, to my right there was a car battery in the water, and to my left there was an empty Coke can. And I thought, this is a mess. I think Jesus, in his baptism, was kneeling in our mess. Washed in our mess, as sinners are to be. Recalling that we would be the ones washed in his righteousness. So that's what happened when Jesus baptized John. John baptized Jesus like he had baptized hundreds, thousands of people before, except then two things happened that had never happened before. The way Matthew says it is this, the heavens were opened to him, him being Jesus, which leaves just a little bit ambiguous whether only Jesus saw or whether perhaps only Jesus and John saw, or whether perhaps maybe everybody saw, but only Jesus and John perceived that the, 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 the dove that landed on him then, a lit on him, was actually the Holy Spirit coming to him then. And then, Matthew says, a second thing happened that had never happened before. This time, a voice from heaven spoke. And again, it's completely clear and yet not unambiguously clear. What's clear is that this voice was God. God the Father speaking out loud. What's not altogether clear is how many there were that day who actually recognized and comprehended it as such. Some, I think, quite likely did hear the sound anyway, but they didn't hear God Speaking, What they heard was, I don't know, thunder, maybe. That actually happened a few other places in the Bible. Jesus, however, and John apparently too, didn't just hear thunder rumbling as God spoke. They heard God speak. And what they heard was God saying, This is my son, my beloved. I am so very pleased with him. It's an obvious link to the first lesson we heard today. Aha, we're connecting to that Isaiah prophecy for sure. By the way, remember if you were here that Sunday before Christmas when we heard the the Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph, we actually learned that day that in the Bible, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, has a non-speaking role. He has no lines. It turns out that in the Gospel of Matthew, God, the Heavenly Father, has a barely speaking role. Two lines. God, the Father's first line is right here in this story on this first Sunday of the Epiphany season, this day called the Baptism of Our Lord. As it turns out, the only other occasion in Matthew's Gospel in which God actually speaks up rather than being spoken for, is on the story we will hear 
on the last Sunday of the Epiphany season, the Sunday called the Transfiguration of our Lord, which means that these weeks we call the Epiphany season, which is pretty long this year because Easter's late. This season is literally bookended by those only two occasions in Matthew's Gospel in which the Word of God is actually spoken by God instead of someone speaking for God. And what's really interesting is that on both of those occasions, God says the exact same thing. God has two lines. It's the same line. God says, this Jesus is my beloved son, and I am oh so pleased with him. And then in the, in, the, in the transfiguration story, there's three more words added. Well, two in the Greek. Akua ta'autu. Listen to him. In other words, what? In other words, people, I know that you, by and large, can't tell the difference between hearing me and hearing thunder rumble. And you can't, you can't tell the difference between hearing me or hearing just the voice of your imagination rumbling in your head. I know there are all kinds of voices you hear, and you don't know which one of them. You sometimes don't know if any of them are my voice. And because of that, I know that there are so many things you don't understand about me, and you want to. People, my people, listen and understand this. Jesus doesn't speak for me. This Jesus, he's me speaking. You want to hear me, you hear him. You want to know me, know him. For he's my son, he is my only begotten. And I am so present in him that from now on, knowing and hearing me is no more complicated than looking to and listening to him. John, in his one-of-a-kind language, says really the same thing this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh to dwell among us, and we saw him, and we heard him, and we are writing what we are writing to show you him, to see and to hear too. At Christmas time, Paul Harvey, those of you of a certain age, mine and older, remember Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey used to tell a story every Christmas about a man who was a good man, kind man, honest man, but not a Christian. The reason he wasn't a Christian is he just honestly didn't think it made one bit of sense To think that if there was a God, I mean, and he wasn't sure if there was or not. I mean, how can you know for sure? But if there was a God, it didn't make one bit of sense that somehow God would become this little baby in this manger. And so once again, this year at Christmas time, the man's wife and children went to the candlelight service and he stayed home. He just knew that he would feel like a hypocrite if he went to church. 
was brutally cold, and it was windy, and it was snowing. And so after they left, he sat in the warmth of his, his, of his chair next to the fireplace, and he started to read until he heard a thudding sound. And then another, and another, it sounded almost like small snowballs being thrown against the window. And he went outside to investigate, and that's when he found a, f- a flock of birds that, that were there, and they seemed to have been lost into the storm, and they were, they were flying into the window, a few of them, trying, apparently, to find some shelter. Well, he wanted to help, but what could he do? He thought of his barn, where his children's pony was stabled. If he could get the birds there, they'd have warmth until the storm passed. He went out to the barn, and he opened the doors wide open. He turned the light on, but the birds didn't come in. He tried shooing them in. It had the exact opposite effect. They just scattered in every direction instead. For even though he meant well, they they didn't know that he was trying to help them. They were afraid of him. He thought to himself, to them I'm this terrifying creature and they can't understand me. If I could just think of a way to somehow let them know that they can trust me. I'm not trying to hurt them. I'm trying to help them. If only, he thought, I had the power to become a bird and huddle there in the snow with them and speak their language. Then they wouldn't be afraid of me, maybe. And I could show them the way. And at that moment, the church bells rang and a church carillon started playing away in a manger. And hearing it, he looked up and with a tear on his cheek, he said, I think I understand now. I thought back to that old story when thinking of the fact that the only two times God ever speaks in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't speak up to say, hey, people, up here, look at me, the almighty creator of you. The only time God ever speaks in Matthew's gospel, what he says is, hey, people, look at him, one of you. He's my son. So, so follow him. He'll show you the way. Listen to him. He'll teach you the way. Believe in him. He is the way. Love him. And learn that love is the way. And my people, you my people here today, Because of all that those who did hear and see him have told you of him. Remember that though he is my only begotten, he is not my only child. For he did all that he did, starting with his baptism with sinners. He did all that he did, well... So that in the waters of your baptism, this promise might be poured on you. You, sinner, are my child, washed righteous with the righteousness of my only begotten. Believe in him. And believing in him, believe in me. And believing in me, 
believing in me, no matter the distractions in the world. (laughs) Remember, I love and I believe in you. Amen.